Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Good morning, LifePoint. My name is Jonathan Holmes. I'm the pastor of community here. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And we've began a series for this Christmas season, uh, the season of joy, the Messiah's birth. And uh, Tyler, Pastor Tyler, was able to uh, begin that series this past week. And we're going to be looking at uh, sections of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be looking at uh, what that teaches us about the season of joy of joy, and specifically the Messiah's birth. And as you turn to Luke chapter 1, I want to ask you a question. How do you handle surprises? One of my favorite things to do with my family is to watch uh, a TV show called America's Funniest Videos. We love it. It's like a trigger. Whenever we get pizza, our eyes are, yeah, okay, now we're going to watch AFV. This is what we do in the Holmes family, right? But there's this uh, quintessential moment in each episode where they do like a slow motion compilation of people being surprised and I love it. I mean, it is just the best, right? You see, and, and they're just freaking out. People are falling on the ground. But there's a part of me that loves this so much because I also love surprising people. You know, you might say scaring people, but I love surprising people. I'm the person who hides around the corner, and I'm just like, my heart beats fast, and I'm just like, yes, 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 right? Like, that is my moment, right? And then I just jump out, but I don't, I don't scream. I just go, hello, right? And I do something really high-pitched, and they just catch them off guard, right? I love it. I mean, I have so many videos on my phone of just me scaring people. It's just, it's a, it's a pastime of mine. I love it. Uh, But there's also a dark side of me because I hate being scared. I do not like it when someone does that to me. Uh, I don't like surprises, right? My wife knows, do not surprise me, right? I mean, I don't want you to surprise me in any way because I like planning. I am a type A achiever, right? I plan, I organize, this is what I do, and I love doing it. Uh, even as a kid, I was a fairly like laid-back child. But one of my uh, parents' favorite stories was uh, when I was, I don't know, maybe six years old, we had a babysitter just walk through the front door. And I was not told that there would be a babysitter walking through that front door. And how dare them not consult their six-year-old son if this was a good Friday night for them to go out and for me to be with a babysitter, right? And I lost my mind. I mean, they said I threw the biggest fit of my life because I simply didn't know the plan. I was surprised. See, but my, my, my 
inability uh, to do well with surprises also moves me uh, to not handle other people's surprises well. So I always feel like I'm trying to perform when someone says, I've got big news. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. I need to respond big. Because right when they say the big news, like, hey, we're moving or we're doing this, my mind immediately goes from the moment to the future. And I say, but, but have you tried doing this and this? And you need to sell your house. You need to move this. You need to, and I'm going with the plan. And they're just like, be happy for me, right? That's what you can imagine what happens with my marriage, right? I got big news, right? And I'm like, but this, right? And everybody needs that person in their life that's not me though, right? They need that person that is just waiting for the big news. Like just, just give me some exciting news and I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to be so, I'm going to be more excited than you are about your news, right? Everybody needs that person in their life. So who's that person for you? When you think of, man, you just get some big news, some exciting news, who's the first person that comes to mind that you're like, I can't wait to share it with them. It may not be the person you're closest to. It's just the person that's really, really good in sharing those moments with you, where they just are like your biggest champion, your greatest cheerleader. Those are, those are special people. And this is the scene we walk into this morning. In Luke's gospel, we walk into this scene where Mary is getting ready to share some big, exciting news. And she's going to share this with her cousin, Elizabeth. And when she shares this big news, remember, she hears from the angel Gabriel. And she hears that not only is she pregnant, which is a miracle, but her cousin, Elizabeth, is pregnant too. So she makes the journey somewhere around 80 to 100 miles to Judah. And she goes to Judah from Nazareth. And as she walks in, this is what happens. Luke 1, verse 43. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now we can only imagine what's going on in Mary's mind right now. I mean, she was just uh, visited by an angel. That's enough of an experience in of itself. But now there's going to be an immaculate conception. And she's going, what? Well, how are the people around me going to respond? And she knows she must go talk to her cousin Elizabeth. And as she does, this is her response. These cousins have been hit with lots of change. Their worlds are spinning around. And undoubtedly, they're wondering how people are going to respond around them. But in this unique moment, there's an incredible fellowship. This is a beautiful picture of community, of shared joy. So if I sit down beside Amber, across from Amber at a nice restaurant, and I order a steak, I cut into my perfectly cooked steak, I take a bite, I am going to enjoy that. But my attention is immediately going to go from my steak to Amber, and I'm going to say, you got to try this, right? I mean, my enjoyment of that steak is not fulfilled until she enjoys it. And then as she takes a bite, I'm going, ah, and we're experiencing, that's community, that's fellowship together, that's enriching community surrounded by joy. It's enjoyment together. And here in this moment, God has sovereignly placed these two cousins working God's providential rescue plan. And here Mary was seeking someone 
to share this incredible story with. And the big news was met with a big celebration. Mary and Elizabeth's fellowship was not just enjoyable, though. This was some much-needed confirmation that God is providentially at work in their lives. Look at verse 44 with me. This is Elizabeth seeking, speaking. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In John Piper's Advent devotional, he says this, This right here is all the confirmation Mary needs. She sees clearly a most remarkable thing about God. He is about to change the course of all human history. The most important three decades of the world are about to begin. And here is God in His unexpected, in His providential way, directing His rescue plan for salvation through these faithful, humble women. See, Luke focuses in on the incredible faith and the humble stature of these women. This is what Luke wants to impress on his reader's mind. He wants you to recognize these humble and yet incredible, faithfully filled women. These women want a teenager. Mary was just merely a teenager. And her cousin Elizabeth was advanced in years. That's a very nice way of saying you are descending the hill. You have gone over, now descend, right? Advanced in years. They were separated by many years, by many miles, but God had uniquely put them in this moment together as part of his providential plan to save all of mankind. How can we then place ourselves in a position to be used by God? The first thing Luke would say, humility. Right? This is what he's pointing to. A humble estate. We'll see it in Mary's song as well. Luke wants you to know that a humble stature and a faith in God will place us in the position to be providentially used by him. And now we arrive at Mary's response to all this excitement, right? She got this uh, incredible response from her cousin and she's taking in this moment. Maybe she's also pondering this in her heart. But instead of worry, joy is so filling in Mary's heart that she overflows in song. Her soul's song comes out, right? And then we see it and it's called the Magnificat. Why is it called the Magnificat? Why is this Mary's Magnificat? Because that first verse there that we'll read, that verse is about magnifying the Lord. Magnify is the Latin word, right? That's where we get our word Magnificat. And so we call this the Magnificat because it is about magnifying the Lord. A soul that magnifies the Lord. And now we're going to read Mary's song. So this is... All happens, and here we get to what Mary's response is. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the beautiful song of joy. From Mary's soul. This is a soul that is overflowing with joy. This is a soul that magnifies the Lord. And I'm confident we'll see this together. The Lord is magnified most when we focus our eyes on who He is and what He has done. The Lord is magnified most when we focus our eyes on who He is and what He has done. Notice first in Mary's song, there is no humble brag. There is not a moment where Mary goes, yeah, finally someone recognizes that I deserve what is being done. Oh, here I am. I have placed myself here. I have positioned myself. And it makes sense that God would bless me in this way. There's no even hint of that in Mary. There's no hint that she believes that she deserves God's blessing. The blessing to carry the Son of God in her womb. See, I, though, fail to feel that sometimes. Maybe someone comes to me and they compliment me, they encourage me, and inside me I say, yes, this is true, right? My pride inflates. Or maybe there's a moment that God richly blesses me. And in that blessing, instead of looking to God and saying, how good are you? I say, makes sense. This makes sense that God would bless me this way. And worse of all, that maybe there's times when I maybe get on my moral high horse and I think, yeah, I am a Christian, right? This makes sense that I follow the Lord. No, right? There's no way. It makes sense that the Lord stepped into my life, but it does not make sense that I follow the Lord. Humble estate. We must remember that. And here we see there is no humble brag. There is no bit of Mary that recognizes that this blessing is deserved. See, we find ourselves at the greatest risk of the sin of pride when we begin to believe that we deserve the blessing of God. We find ourselves at the greatest risk of being inflated, thinking too highly of ourselves when we receive the blessing of God and we say, yeah, That makes sense. It makes sense that you would do that for me. That's pride. The sinful feeling of deserving God's blessing is the quickest way to quench joy in your life. You want to know a formula on how to get rid of all the joy in your life? Just believe that you deserve everything you have and you even deserve the things that are coming to you. You deserve more, right? Joy will immediately be quenched. Mary's Magnificat reveals to us the beauty 
of the joy of a soul that magnifies the Lord. See, Mary's song breaks down into two key sections. The first section is in verses 46 through 49, and we're going to see Mary remembers what God has done for her. So 46 through 49, we're going to see that Mary remembers what God has done for her. See, Mary's song begins a retelling of what God has been doing in her life on her behalf. But instead of making up her own language, she is pulling from Old Testament songs, from Psalms, from Proverbs, and from Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. These are remarkably similar. But the thing to point out here is not just that they're similar and like, oh, isn't that a fun fact? The thing to point out is that Mary knew the Word of God. I love the Psalms. It's something that if you would have asked me, even while I was in seminary, hey, do you love the Psalms? I'd be like, I don't understand them. I have no, I mean, I get them, but I don't, right? The Psalms are the language of the Christian soul. It gives us language for our deepest felt feelings. It gives us language and worship of Him. That's why we should be consistently and constantly reading the Word of God. Because Mary doesn't step back and say, let me tell you about all this. She says, let me recite what I know. This is what God has been doing. He's been at it before my life. He will be at it after my life. I'm confident in the Lord, right? At Jesus' birth, we read that Mary, what? Pondered or treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. Mary was a mindful woman. She did not let things pass her by. She captured them, but she captured them with a mind set on the Word of God. And Mary was a mindful, clearly, clearly set person on Jesus. Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. If a life is dwelling on the word of Christ, what would that look like? It goes on, Colossians 3, verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Well, you couldn't help but to share it. If your mind was dwelling on the word of Christ, you couldn't help but to share it, to teach it. Well, you would be overwhelmed in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It would come out in singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does Colossians 3 teach us? It teaches us that a mind set on God is quick to sing. Why do we come to church and sing songs? Well, it's because what we do. It's tradition, right? No. We've been doing this from the very beginning. Because a soul that is overflowing with joy leads to singing. It leads to a recounting of what God has done. It leads to a soul overflowing with joy. A direct result of the word of Christ dwelling richly in the believer's life is singing. We shouldn't just sing here. We should sing in our cars. If you're really bad, sing in the shower, right? But if you're a parent, try singing with your family. Even if you're terrible. I'm the worst singer in the room, right? My kids will tell you that. I am just bad, right? You never want me on the stage singing. But I will sing with my family. Even in my little bit of embarrassment, I'm like, oh, am I doing anything right? No? Okay, yeah, let's just keep singing, right? Sing a little louder, Amber, please. But sing together. This is how we remember. This is how we express the joy 
within our soul. In verse 46, we read, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary was not sinless. Despite what our Catholic friends teach, she was not sinless. Her first words out of her mouth are what? Look, he's my Savior. He has saved me from my sin. Someone who's a sinner has no need for a Savior. Mary recognizes in this moment that she has much to praise. In Hebrew poetry, there's a technique that is often used where two lines will say the same thing just in different ways. And here she's saying the same thing in two different ways. Soul and spirit are interchangeable. But she's saying, magnify the Lord, rejoice in God my Savior. And the word magnify here in our text, it's very important for our understanding. What is Mary's thinking here? What is Mary trying to get across that she's magnifying the Lord? Well, here, my natural understanding takes me to more, more of a scientific understanding, right? I think of like a microscope. I think of a microscope that is there to magnify something small. It makes something small appear larger than it really is. So is Mary saying here that my soul wants to magnify God? I want to I make God seem larger or bigger than he really is. I want to make God seem greater than who he really is. No. That's not what magnify means here. See, magnify, the Greek term here is to speak highly of. To honor in word and deed, to speak highly of. So if you think of a microscope, and say I had a microscope, I'm not a scientific person, but I take a pretzel M&M, which is the pinnacle of all candy creations, and I place it underneath the microscope, right? And I look through that microscope, and I look in it, and I go, whoa. I mean, my my whole field of view is now caught up in seeing this pretzel M&M. And I might come to the false conclusion of, this will satisfy me. This is, this one little pretzel M&M, it's going to nourish me. It's going to be great. It's going to be all I need. But the moment I step back from the microscope and I get my field of view, I get the magnitude of my perspective back, I go, oh, that's it? That's all it is? But sometimes I think that's how we think of God. We look at God and like, whoa, let me look at this one characteristic, this one attribute, whatever. And we look back and it doesn't mean anything. Like, oh yeah, he doesn't satisfy. Magnify here does not mean microscopic. We have a telescopic faith, right? A telescope brings something far away into greater sight. It does not make it seem larger than it actually is. It brings clarity. It brings perspective. See, I remember when I was walking out at a friend's house. He had set up his telescope and he was, he's like a brain surgeon now, right? And so this explains a lot. He had set up his telescope to see some incredible uh, thing that night and I was like, cool, yeah, let's do it. And I was 13-year-old Jonathan, ran out with him and he's like, it's time, it's time, right? It's 9.06. And so we ran out and we, we looked through it and he looked through it and he's like, yeah, yeah, look. And I looked through and I went, whoa. You know, my expectation could even, over. at that time, I probably was like, sick, bro, that's awesome. And that's, man, wow, that just sucks the wind out of you, right? No, but in that moment, I was trying to, in my teenage dialogue, express awe, amazement. Like, whoa, 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 wait, 
You're saying that's right there? You're, you're saying that huge planet we can see? I'm seeing colors. I'm seeing, you know, I, I was sitting there in amazement. And friends, that's just creation. We're talking about the creator here. If we can be inspired by creation in that way, just think about if our minds were set on the creator. Set on who he is. Not just on creation. Our souls magnify the Lord when they're rightly focused on him. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Humble estate or humility is the natural result of reflecting on who God is and what he is, what he is doing in our lives. A humble estate is a natural product of a correct understanding of who you are before a holy God. God owes us nothing. Yet he's giving us, given us everything in Christ Jesus our Lord. In an, era we, in an era where we expect everything as a personal right, we can develop an attitude that the blessing of God is something that we deserve. An era where we believe we deserve what we have, and if we believe that we're owed everything that we've been given, and that we're owed even the things that we haven't been given, we'll always end in an abundant disappointment. There's no soul magnifying the Lord there. There's a soul not at rest. There's a soul that is recognizing that there is only deep disappointment outside of the Lord. See, Mary understood her position before God and recognized the incredible honor that was placed on her, the blessing of carrying the Son of God. Mary recognized that God is not only mighty, but He is doing great things for me. See, that sense of privilege and honor, it spills over into a soul overflowing with joy. Discontentment and discouragement overflow from a prideful heart that believes it's owed everything that it has. It even believes that it's, it's owed what it is missing. It believes it, it is given what it doesn't even have yet. There's no joy there. The Christian must recognize that the blessing of God in their lives through a remembrance of the many things he has done for us. How often do we pray for something and the moment it's answered, we say, great, and our attention goes somewhere else. You're not going to be reminded the faithfulness of God if we're continuing to ask for things or to move beyond what he's doing at that moment. I had a mentor at one point just say, man, I, I've been struggling trying to remember things and uh, how God has been at work. And uh, I was telling him this and he goes, you know what you need to do? And he got this from the 12 stone story in the Old Testament. But he goes, you need to take rocks and put them in your home. And you need to remind yourselves of all the times God has been faithful. And you're going to find those 12 rocks are going to quickly run out. 
And I was like, okay, I did it. And I was like, well, I need a lot more rocks than that. That was a moment where I recognized that if I am left to my own devices, I might falsely believe that God is not faithful because I am forgetful. And then we see, so not only is Mary reflecting and overflowing with joy on what God has done for her, but on who God is. Verse 50, we recognize and we see God's mercy as a source of overflowing joy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, God's mercy is which is his loving, faithful kindness to us, is extended to all who fear him from generation to generation. What a blessing that is. Fear describes the awe which fills our hearts as we reflect and rightly recognize the greatness of God. It was that moment I looked in the telescope. Ah, it came out as awesome, right? But in that moment, ah. Amazement, right? It's that moment, the fear of the Lord, that puts God in a right perspective for us. It's not a trembling, it's an honoring. Rather, relationship with God at this time, though, was seen simply as a hosting of someone who is greater than you, right? There was this fear. I want to do everything right. I want to follow this to the law, right? And so we must avoid this ditch as Christians where we don't get to the point where we believe we can't even approach God for He is holy. Because we're welcomed into His presence. But now our tendency in our culture is to treat God like a crutch. Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, He is your friend. That's that's biblical. Amen. Yes and amen. But He is the Creator. He is the Almighty One. He is the King of kings, the Prince of peace. He is the everlasting fire. So let's pause for a moment. Let's get a right perspective. Let's not fall into a ditch, but let's be reminded as sons and daughters of God, we're welcomed into his presence. And we should be filled with awe. We must honor God in a way that reveals the fear of the Lord as the beginning of all knowledge. Proverbs 1 Yet we need to keep in mind that we are a son or daughter, chosen as a special people, as it says in 1 Peter 2. It is in this balance that we find ourselves overwhelmed, but better yet, we find our soul overflowing with joy. Strength and kindness in verse 51 through 53 is what we see next. So Mary, upon reflecting on who God is, she says, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. In verses 51 through 53, we, we see that Mary is singing of God's strength and kindness as it relates to scattering the proud, bringing down the mighty, sending the rich away empty. Here, Mary is singing of the ultimate reversal of, the, of man's economy, flipping on its head what we prioritize. See, the proud believe they are owed what they have been given and everything they desire, which exalts themselves over all others. God brings them down. And he humbles, or he exalts the humble. 
Those who are both humble in heart and mind find themselves exalted, not by what they do, but by God's strength, His arm. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will what? He will exalt you. See, the only choice is, are you going to humble yourself before the Lord so that He will exalt you? Or are you going to be humbled by the Lord? That's the, that's the question. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. See, in this paradigm, Mary is speaking of the flipping of the world's economy, right? That oftentimes our natural tendency is to view the rich and the famous as blessed. That they're favored. Man, I wish I was like them. But yet they continually speak of, there's no contentment here. I wish that I could have. I'm just going for the next one. But here we see that God is flipping the economy. And how is he doing this? In the most unexpected way. By sending his son. In the form of a baby. Dwelling among us. To God honors the humble and the hungry. While we might ignore them. The value of the person. Is not determined by any number. We try to put numbers on it. Okay bank account. Success. Followers. Whatever it is right. And even as Christians. Maybe we even say. Well how many services have I gone to. How many days have I read my Bible? That does not change your value before the Lord. Where do we receive value? It's not in place in what you can do or what's been done to you. It's in the image of God and how he's created you. It's been bestowed upon you. It's a blessing from the Lord. You are valuable as a son or a daughter because of Christ. And finally, we see God's faithfulness, verse 54 through 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God is faithful. In a world of scams and false promises, there might not be a more needed reminder this morning. God is faithful. What he promises Even all the way back to Abraham, Mary remembers. She recognizes that this is the covenant fulfillment from his promise to Abraham. What he promises he keeps, what he says he does. There is nothing found in God that is too good to be true. Our skeptic's eye always goes to the deals or whatever and say, you say it's free, but that's too good to be true. There's nothing free in this world, right? Our skeptic's eye can never go to the Lord. You can never find any goodness of God that is too good to be true. Mary recognizes that through the child, the Son of God rested the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham. That this was a quintessential moment in God's saving grace, in His plan of redemption, that this was it. This was the climax. Mary, did you know? Yes, she, she knew. And before it was even fulfilled, she didn't know how it was going to happen. But before it was even fulfilled in this moment, the beginning where the, where the spark has been struck and it's, begin, and it's igniting, here in this providential plan, she's rejoicing. Has, does she know exactly how it's going to happen? Does she exactly know every trial and tribulation? 
or how it's going to be fulfilled. No, but that does not keep her from worshiping the Lord. Mary boasted in the faithfulness of God, and so should we. She didn't need to know how exactly this would all play out or what tribulations would come. Her eyes were focused. They were so set on the Lord that she was able to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm overflowing with joy. Mary's song reveals God's character not as an abstract expression of holiness, of mercy, of strength, but in concrete relationship to people and how it plays out in the details of our life. I love this quote from one commentator. God's attributes are meant not only to be understood and worshipped, but they are meant to be experienced. God's attributes are not something just to know. There's something to experience. Do you, yes, you know God is faithful. But have you experienced His faithfulness? When's the last time you've been reminded that He is faithful? Not abstractly, concrete in your relationship with Him that He is faithful. Doctrine and the truth of who God is always, always, always leads to doxology. It always leads to worship. When we learn and grow in our understanding of who God is, that must always come out in our worship of who He is. A greater understanding of who God is always leads us to a soul that magnifies the Lord. See, Mary's Magnificat is a beautiful picture of of the joy of a soul that magnifies the Lord. Daily, I'm tempted to worship, I am tempted to worship God for what He has given me. The blessings. You can hear it in my prayers. God, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for them. Thank you for this. Thank you for them. Right? I do this over and over and over again that I see only God's faithfulness in the blessing. I see His goodness in what He gives me. Oh, that is a bad spot to be in. Because when your circumstances change, Your finger goes to God and you say, how dare you? You don't know what's right. You don't know what's good. We worship God not on the good things he gives us. We worship God for who he is. He is good. He is good. And his goodness will always come through. He is faithful and good. Mary had a clear vision of who God is. She knew God as the one who cares for her, but also cares enough to work in her life, providentially, in his plan. Those who know God and the grace that we have received from him can join in Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We do not have the same honor as Mary does as giving birth to the Son of God, carrying the Lord in her womb. But we are richly blessed. I'm not talking about physical, material blessings. I'm talking about that we are welcomed in as a child of God. And in the season when the child of God arrives, Emmanuel, God with us, dwelling among us, that must remind us that God will go at great lengths to rescue his people because he promises, what he promises he keeps and he is faithful I love how in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28, it speaks of how God 
does things in ways that we don't expect. There's no greater reminder this Christmas season. We don't know how or when or what God is doing all the time. But this is what we know. He is good. He is faithful. He is holy. He is merciful. And he is strong. And in that, we can rejoice. And so I pray in this moment that your soul would overflow with joy because of a right perspective on who God is and what he has done. The Lord is magnified most when we focus our eyes on who he is and what he has done. Would you pray with me?